Yeah, so this um, this morning, I just want to share with you from Second Chronicles chapter 20. So if you if you have your Bible with you, um, if you'll go ahead and turn there, because we're going to be reading some some scriptures from there. Second Chronicles chapter 20, and uh, Holy Spirit, we just give you this time, and we ask that you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Holy Spirit, we love you. We thank you for your leadership. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you're with us. We love you. Amen. So in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20, I'm trying to block this outlet out with my head. So <laughs> um, We're not in the studio, by the way. I, didn't, I don't know if y'all knew that or not. But... <laughs> But Second Chronicles chapter 20, uh, this is the story of King Jehoshaphat, and this is, Jehoshaphat was one of the uh, few good kings that reigned in uh, Judah at this time, and he um, dedicated himself to the Lord, and in Second Chronicles chapter 17, there's actually list out the army that Jehoshaphat had. And it said that, I, compiling the numbers, it says that Jehoshaphat had 1,160,000 warriors at his disposal. That is a lot of people. If you've ever been to Sanford Stadium for a Saturday Georgia home football game, there's 93,000 people in that stadium, and that was one-twelfth, roughly. Of, of the army that Jehoshaphat had. And so they're surrounded, they, Jehoshaphat is, they're surrounded the, by the Edomites and Ammonites and, and they, it doesn't say how many people surrounded them, how many of the, the enemy army surrounded them, but it was enough to make them feel powerless. And so I was just thinking about the United States and we're a strong country. And, but we have, we've been surrounded by this thing that is making us feel powerless right now. It's, it's halted us. It's, it's crippled us. And so, um, so here's Jehoshaphat's army. 1,160,000 1, strong, but yet they feel powerless. And so in verse 3, it says, Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. So they gathered together. We're not able to do that right now. Even though we're distant in, in the physical, we're not distant in the spirit. Paul said, I'm with you in spirit, even though he was away and in a different city from believers. Tell us where you're reading again. We're in Second Chronicles chapter 20. Verses 3 through 4. And double check, man, it may be 21, but I'm pretty sure it's 20. So, Jehoshaphat, one of the things that I like what Jehoshaphat did was that he, yes. he admitted that he was afraid. <laughs> and sometimes um, we're, for, you know, we're like, we're, we're, we're supposed to have it all together. And so, when this coronavirus thing broke out, at the very beginning, like three or four weeks ago, and there was this threat of the quarantine, 
we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know if grocery stores were going to be shut down. We didn't know, you know, I'm thinking, are we going to be able to get gas? Are we going to be able to get groceries? Are we going to, um, I started looking at my garden tools. I was like, do I, <laughs> do I have seeds and, and, and garden tools? And is the tractor got gas in it? Cause are we going to have to start planting a garden? I mean, I just didn't know. Nobody has in the U S history. My parents have said they've never experienced anything like this. Um, you know, other than this, in 1917, when the Spanish flu hit, was there a quarantine? And so most people alive have never experienced anything like this. And I just told Jessica, I said, I don't, I don't know what to do. I've, this is unprecedented. And not only am I trying to lead my family, but I'm, I'm trying to like lead a church through this. And, you know, I admitted that to, to her, you know, the fears, uncertainties that I had. But also admitted it to the Lord, and when you're honest with the Lord, He He can come into that place. Honesty invites the Lord into that place that you need Him to come into. And so, I started. To, I was like, you know what, Lord? Worst case scenario is it I die, or one of my loved ones dies. But in the view of eternity, those things are very small. And so when you start living from an eternal perspective and you realize that death is a promotion, the really the fear of death that Hebrews talks about begins to go away. And it says that we're held in bondage to we're we're slaves to a fear of death. But when you don't have that fear, you you become free. And so ultimately, when you realize like my time on earth is short. But my time and eternity is forever. And I'm not living for this age. I'm living for the age to come. Then it puts everything, it makes the fears, these temporal fears subside. And, and realize that this is, this is not forever. I have a different reality that is eternal. And so he was afraid, he admitted it. And, and then he turned his attention to the Lord. There's a lot of people right now who are, are looking for comfort, but they're looking for comfort even now in the wrong places, whether it's numbing themselves with binge watching or, or whatever. And, and we're watching, we're watching movies, we're watching shows. We're not saying you, not to do that, but, but this is the time to actually move forward in the spirit. And, you, and it's time to be intentional with the Lord, to seek his face, to worship as a family. And Jehoshaphat, he declared a national day of prayer. And so this is, Athens is having a pre-Passoving day of prayer, like I said before, Tuesday, April 6th, starting at 6 p.m., ending Wednesday at 7 p.m., so 25 hours of worship and prayer and, and fasting. And when we come together and we humble ourselves, God promises that when we humble ourselves and we seek His face, He'll, he'll come and heal the lands, and that's Second Chronicles 7.14. And Second Chronicles 13 says, you know, if a pestilence comes to the land, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face and pray, then I will come and heal the land. So this is the time to seize it and this is the time to, to move forward. Then Jehoshaphat in verse 5, it says that then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem and in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? And are you not ruler over the kingdoms of the nations? Power 
and might are in your hands so that no one can stand against you. So I love what Jehoshaphat did here. He declared God's majesty. He declared God's authority. And he declared God's power over the situation. And so what Jehoshaphat was doing was he was reminding himself of who God is. And the powers of darkness. And he was, he was not only reminding himself of who God was, he was reminding the powers of darkness in, in the heavenly places of who God is. And so the word of God does not return void. And so when the word of God goes out of your mouth, it accomplishes everything that it was sent to do. Which And here, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. And so one of the ways you combat fear is you speak the truth out and you declare who God is. And you declare that he is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. He is the Lord and there is no other. He will not give his praise to any idols or his glory to another. He is the king, and he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and all the nations are in his inheritance. When you start reminding yourselves of who God is, I call those verses God flexing his muscles. That's the, those are the verses about God's power, God's authority, God's might, and there is no other that he's going to give that to. And so Jehoshaphat did that. He reminded himself, and he also reminded the, the powers that, that be of darkness of who God is. Verse 7, he says, Did you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? So he remembered what God had done and the, and the promises that God had made to his people. Now, God has never promised us that we would be without suffering. He actually says, if you follow me, you, you are going to suffer to some degree or, or the other. Some to the point of death, some some not, and, and you know the list goes on. But what he did promise is that you can have peace, you can have joy and righteousness in the midst of it. And the <laughs> disciples, when the storm came on the boat, Jesus was asleep in the middle of a storm. They were afraid. They woke him up. Jesus said, peace be still. And so there's, that, there's those promises of being able to live from a different reality, not to be controlled by outside circumstances you know joy and happiness are an inside job they're not based upon what's going on on the outside they're not based upon uh or controlled by circumstances if that were the case then you you're a slave you're a slave to your circumstances you're a slave to those things that you can't control and so happiness and and and, and peace and joy it's it's an inside job and jesus de demonstrated that in his life Verse 8, it says, They've lived in it and have built your you a sanctuary there for your name, saying, Should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry to you in our distress, and you will hear and deliver us. So Jehoshaphat is confident that God will respond to the prayers of his people. I just, I love the fact that, you know, here's Jehoshaphat, they're in a powerless situation. Um, you know, the New Testament promises us that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. I remember uh, Greg Goldcap, I think Greg was telling this story when he was in Turkey uh, last summer and they were having church with some Iranian believe, believers who had, who were, refugees to Turkey and 
one of the women had been in prison in Iran for her faith, for being a Christian. And she actually said that she missed her days in prison because of the nearness of God was so profound that her intimacy with Jesus was so sweet that she missed her days in prison. And that's called, that's living from a different kingdom. That's living from the kingdom of God and not being controlled by outside circumstances. And so God promises that he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us, that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. And so my prayer is that we, we draw near, that we seek the Lord like we never have before, and that there's grace to, and there's grace to do that. In verse 10, it says, Now behold the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you did not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. They turned aside from them and did not destroy them. So he's saying, hey, we showed these guys mercy. See how they were rewarding us by coming to drive us out from your possession, which you have given us as an inheritance. O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we were powerless before this great multitude who were coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And so, they're powerless before this great multitude. Jehoshaphat, he, was, he had the same question I did a few weeks ago, and, and many leaders are having now, including our government leaders, is we don't know what to do. But the key is our eyes are on, who your eyes are on. And so what God says stands above every other word out there. No matter what the news says, no matter what uh, even the CDC says, Lord, that, that if they say this could go another nine months, if we come before the Lord and we say, God, stop this plague, it can come much, much sooner. So God gets the final word. And so this this virus, so to speak, has surrounded us in the nations of the world. But it's also made us uh, realize in a, in a new way how much little control we have. Jessica spoke to this earlier. We really don't have very much control. If you've tried to raise your kids, you, you've realized that. You can't make anybody do anything. You can only influence them. But we really don't have that much control. And so we look to the one who does. We look to the one who's sovereign. And we look to Jesus. And so in verse 13, I love this part. It says, All Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. And sometimes we try to put away the children when it comes during times like this. But I'm encouraging you to take you and your families, you come together, you worship together, you invite your children to pray. Because their prayers are powerful and effective. And when a family worships together, that's what the devil fears most. The devil, he, he's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. So he's got to have a very good strategy. And he does have a good strategy. He tries to take out the fathers and the husbands. That will take out the family for the most part. You take out the family, you take out the church, you take out the church, you take out the nation. And so when families come together, right there at the foundation of nations are families. And when families come together and worship, then guess what happens to a nation? It says righteousness exalts a nation. So it brings healing when families worship together and marriages are healthy. And so what you're doing right now in the home, 
giving the things to God. I had I repented to Josiah yesterday for um, the way I interacted with him. I've got many stories like that. That's y'all aren't uh, unfamiliar with that. But I repented to Josiah, and I was in tears because I was doing something that in my heart I did not want to do. And so I'm repenting and I'm, I'm wanting to become more like Jesus in my parenting. And, and, and I'm talking to Josiah and I'm saying, I'm learning too. I'm growing as a father and you're my oldest son. And so guess what? I'm learning with you first. And I pray that, you know, you have grace for me in this. And so I want to, I want to encourage you families Family seeking God, worshiping, and praying is what's going to turn this thing around. What you're doing right now in your home is turning things around. When you lift up, when you, when you seek the Lord and you worship Him. And He said, Listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, this is verse 13, and, King Je and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord, this is Jehaziel the Levite prophesying, He says, Do not fear. Or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Verse 21, when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire, as they went out before their army and said, Give thanks to the Lord, for his loving kindness is everlasting. When they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come out against Judah. So they were routed. Thanksgiving and praise, I'm telling you. Thanksgiving and praise ambushes or surprises the enemy. When the enemy brings troubles to you, he's not expecting you to worship God. He's expecting you to complain and grumble and curse God. That's his hope and that's his desire. But when, you, when, things, when things are taken from you and you decide to worship God anyways, it's just like sticking the sword right in the heart of the enemy. Psalm 37 14 through 15, it says, The wicked have drawn the sword and bent their bow to cast down the afflicted and needy, to slay those who are upright in conduct. Their sword will enter their own heart and their bows will be broken. So another way of saying this is, God works all things for the good. Genesis 49, Joseph in the dungeon ends up saving Israel because he gets to be at the right hand of Pharaoh through his trials and tribulations. And he said, what was meant for evil, God uses for good. And so, they go out before the army. The worshipers go out before the army. And they say, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his loving kindness is everlasting. And I want you to know that sentence right there. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. That's a, that's a sentence and that's a statement of warfare. And you're not even looking at the enemy. You're looking at the Father and you're giving thanks to Him and you're declaring, God, you're good. Even right now, you are good and your love endures forever. There's nothing that's going to separate me from your love. And when that does, that surprises, that ambushes the enemy. And what happened was when they began, when they went out to worship, the enemy army, that outnumbered 1,160,000 people. I'm guessing they had three times that much. I don't know. They got confused and began to kill one another until all, there was, it says there was not one left. And Israel goes onto the battlefield without lifting a sword and they collect spoil for three days. 
for three days. Jessica and I just cleaned out our little shed behind the house. And now we packed a lot of stuff in there, but it was seven hours of work of cleaning that out. And they had three days of, of collecting stuff. It said they couldn't carry it all. That, that was how much spoil was left. And so when you give thanks to the Lord and you, and you seek Him and you humble Him yourself and you come together as families and you pray and you fast and you're like, God, we, we humble ourselves. David said, I humbled my soul with, with fasting. And so there's so many different ways of fasting. And so I, I encourage you to ask the Lord what that looks like for you. But when you, you choose to humble yourself and to seek the Lord, it's all about being intentional. God comes and works on our behalf. And He is He is faithful. And I'm telling you, this thing is not going to last forever. God's going to get the glory because we read the end of the book. We've read what there's a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's going to be greater than Pentecost. There's going to be a, a third great awakening here in, the, in, in America. All the nations of the earth are going to see Jesus and his glory, and he will get his inheritance. Jesus didn't die for nothing. He didn't die for nothing. The Father promised him the nations. And so we want to cooperate with what God's doing. And even this morning, I was like, God, pour out your spirit greater than you did at Pentecost. Pour it out. It says in in, uh, in the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets is prophet's name slipped in my mind, but it says the, the latter rain is going to be greater than the former rain. It's talking about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So that former rain is the Pentecost, and that latter rain is this is the, the outpouring of the Spirit that God's going to pour out before Jesus comes back. And so there's a great, even a greater outpouring of the Spirit that's coming. And so we, I give thanks to God for that. Um... So we're going to pray now. Jessica's going to join us. So I just have a couple things um, before we pray. Um, and Travis was talking about how joy and happiness are an inside job. Um, I just wanted to talk about that for a minute. If it's an inside job, that means that um, I can't sit around waiting for uh, my children to make me happy. Um, although that would be nice and I wouldn't have to do anything. Or Travis. Um, we were on the marriage retreat. They said something um, about the Joel and Stacy Goddard led that retreat. And just if you need someone to help you worship as a family, um, go to the YouTube Bethle um, Bethlehem Church. Go and subscribe to Bethlehem Church, and you can they do worship and prayer. Um, you may have to search Bethlehem Church Wander to get the right one. And they do live worship. Um, Sunday and then um, Monday through Friday, um, but it's all recorded on YouTube, so you don't have to get on at a certain time. And our family has loved that time together. And if you have little kids, I would encourage you to just put it on and let it play. And while you play and while you eat and while you do things, it doesn't have to be an organized moment, but it is powerful. And so Joel and Stacy led our marriage retreat and. Um, and Joel said, how many of y'all feel like you're the only one who cleans up the kitchen? And, or maybe he asked Stacy, are you the only one who feels like you clean up the kitchen? And she said, yes. And he said, well, so do I. And during this time, we can get like that, where we feel like 
we're the only ones who are doing something. Like, I'm the only one changing diapers, or I'm the only one teaching the potty training. I'm the only one playing basketball. Now, that's true. Travis is the only one playing basketball with the kids. But um, we feel like we're the only one doing things, and when that's, when that's where our mind gets, we're not working on our inside job. We're wanting somebody else to make us happy. And so just a couple of, um, I'm so happy seeing all these people watching from all over the place. Oh my goodness. I have my little, you know, my microphone Tourette's happening right now, but, um, I'm so glad that y'all are watching. Um, so my thoughts are, is sometimes we need some tools for joy and happiness when we get the revelation that, okay, this is an inside job and no one else can do it for me. You remember that Jesus bought your joy on the cross. And when you give it away, it was yours to start with and you gave it away. So how do you get it back? Number one, you can be thankful. Just like this Jehoshaphat said, give thanks to the Lord. That's number one, give thanks to the Lord. And you can just say that. Like when it's really hard, you can just say, I give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness endures forever. And then you can put it in that moment. I give thank, thank you, God, that I'm home right now with my family. Your loving kindness is helping me. Just start there and then start thinking about other people instead of just getting caught up in what we need or what we want or how things aren't right for us. Um, turn your mind to what you can do for other people, how you can serve, how you can lay your life down. Because humility, last week I talked about how humility was like the megaphone for grace. And we all need grace. So grab your megaphone of humility and scream out, God, give me some grace. And joy and happiness will follow. It is a recipe for goodness. So give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. It is in quarantine. His loving kindness is here and his loving kindness is over our country and that's what we're contending for. So I'm just, this Jehoshaphat gave us a formula. Many of us want a formula. Like what can I do? How can I make this happen? This is how. And so um, go back and read over Second Chronicles 20 and and get the picture of the formula. Travis did a great job of breaking that down for us this morning. So I just want you to have some practical tools on how to make that happen in your house. Yeah. One other scripture I just want to share with you real quick is in Isaiah 66. God is saying, he, he says, where can, is there a place where I can rest in this earth? He, he's basically saying, there's no one on earth that I can reside. I'm so big. I'm God. Like, you can't hold me in the temple. You can't hold me anywhere. I'm the Lord. I'm paraphrasing. And then in verse 2, he says, but this is the one that I want to have it. He says, this is what he's looking for. He who is humble and contrite of heart and who trembles at my word. And I just feel like, so God, he's looking for it. He is looking for a resting place. But he says, it's not going to be in a temple. It's not going to be in anything that we think would be big enough to hold him. But he's saying, I will, you will be my temple. Mm -hmm. You will be my temple when you humble your heart and you and you tremble at my word. So he's looking for humble hearts, and that's all he's ever asked for. And so 
I just, I've been praying for us that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness again, that we would be humble-hearted people, that God can find a place to rest. He's not, he doesn't want another visitation. He's looking for a place that He can inhabit and dwell on the earth. And He said that He will be our God and we will be His people. And so the greatest men who loved the Lord had humble hearts. They did not seek fame or fortune or anything like that. They just wanted to become like Jesus. And they had humble hearts. And so I just pray that we would ask the Lord for that because even that is a gift for Him. But you ask Him to give you a humble, contrite heart and say, God, I want to be a resting place for your presence. I want to be a resting place for your spirit. And I want every time somebody encounters me, that they encounter you, Father. That they, We have one friend that prays. He says, Lord, I pray that everyone that I minister to doesn't even remember me, that they just remember that they had an encounter with Jesus. Mm-hmm.